Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy. This is Pod Have Mercy. Well, I'm John Stevens. And I'm Matt Russell. Hey, thanks for letting me come back this week. Well, John, it was a close call, but you know. I made the we cut. We missed you, dude. Well, I missed you. Man, I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you something. I was um, listening while I was in the car driving from the airport to Columbus. I was with my mother last week, and I was listening to the the podcast and Marlon's story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that guy's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's part of a, he's one of the resurrected ones, right? I mean, it's just, uh, and his poetry, he goes into a whole different, Oh, yeah. <laughs> like something comes over him. It's like he goes into rapper mode he does. or something. It is. It was so authentic and real because yeah. it's it's his story. Yeah. You know, that you know where he's from. It's yeah. just awesome. It's amazing. So I would encourage if people haven't, you know, didn't hear that. And we're gonna do more of this. Yeah. I think right. we're gonna have a lot of people come in to talk about things going on in Houston. But really this whole purpose of this these conversations we're having together is to think about you know, how we intersect with the world that we're in, you know, church, yeah. instead of just turning inward and looking inward, how are we really challenging ourselves yeah. to be the church in the world yeah. and to be who God calls us to be in the world? And that's not just about being in institutions or in the buildings that we've always felt comfortable in. Hmm. And so yeah. Marlon's one of those that gives voice to, uh, man, things that are out there every day yeah. that are beautiful yeah. and where we find Jesus at work. Yes. You know, in real yeah. spaces in real time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that that kid has dragged me into spaces that I discover later that the spirit was all over. I want to be dragged. Uh, <laughs> you are draggable. We're <laughs> well, going to take dra- you. Yeah, we're going to take you with us. So, so this past week I had a, I had a birthday. It comes every year. It's a funny thing. Birthdays. That's great. How was I, it? it? It was good. Yeah. It was good. I didn't do anything spectacularly Amazing. Yeah. My, my wife, I think she felt bad for me because like everything I suggested, she goes, okay, we'll do that. It's your birthday. I have a birthday week. Apparently I'm still in it. In it. Oh yeah. (laughs) So Sunday as I was standing up there, I was just talking about turning 50. I said, you know, when you look at the back of your hand, look at the back of your hand. I said, this is not the hand that I remember. And so after church, everybody's walking up. Look at the back of my hand. Look at that. (laughs) Look at my hand. Hey, check out my hand. Look at my hand. Look at my hands. Way worse than your hand. I was like, oh, Lord. I didn't know it was a competition. You've unleashed something, John. <laughs> well, it, apparently that was the, the most resonating thing in the entire story. <laughs> so look at the back hand. of my hand. We're now all going to reflect on the back of our hand. So what, what did you do this week? So yeah, I'm old. Officially, I'm old. Uh, CDC says that uh, I shouldn't be staying indoors and not traveling. So probably Well, you're not decrepit, John. You're, you're a... You're a virile. That's not what it says, young man. That's not what it says. It <laughs> is says. that right? <laughs> I don't know what virile means. <laughs> Moving on. How was your <laughs> How was your week? My week was good. Um, you know, I have a tendency to forget a lot of things. Um, it was good. I um, it was a good weekend. I uh, led a retreat at the Laity Lodge for a bunch of Episcopal men, and so. Um, and spent time with uh, with with those guys, and it was great. It was great. It's awesome. All right, so um, we have. What are these questions called? We're not really strangers. We're not really strangers. And you went first last time, so I get to go first this. This is. Why does he always get the easy ones? 
Y'all can switch if you want. No. no. <laughs> Did you, <laughs> do you look at these and then decide? I, no, I just, uh, you print just put them out. Yeah. Good. No, yes, okay. this, I'm going to get some existential difficult. What are five things <laughs> you are... <laughs> What are five things you're thankful for right now? What are the primary colors? <laughs> oh, this one I thought would be good with the worry topic. Oh, oh well, yeah, that's right. We're going to be ta- we're talking about worry today and anxiety and fear. And <clears throat> what are five things you're thankful for right now? Thankful for right now today. Mm-hmm. Okay, number one, sitting across from you, love it. Oh, thanks. Th- that's that's I'm serious. I coming back to Chapelwood, I didn't realize. How big a blessing, number one, this church is on the planet Earth, right? And then um, um, getting to know you and the staff um, is just, it's like, oh, this is, this is all. Um, I sh- probably should have said my family first because yes. my wife listens to this. She's got, well, John Stevens won, me too. Yeah, I know. So, and now that I've just said that voice, then I'm going to get in trouble twice. So Three times, actually. Darn it. <laughs> so I would say my family. And you should. You deserve to be <laughs> I'd say my family, uh, we, we, you know, it's, it's, a, it's always a whirlwind and a beautiful thing at the same time. And so there's some great things going on there with my boys and Michelle. And so I just, uh, I love going home. I'm in a really good place with kind of learning some things out of, out of meetings I'm going to in terms of my 12-step stuff and just spiritual stuff that's going on in my life. And so I feel like I'm in tall grass right now in terms of just my own um, spiritual life. And that's not always the case, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I feel a lot of gratitude for that. Um, no, you still have two more. I <laughs> um, I'm, I'm keeping count. I, okay, uh, I know you are. This is like, that's serious. Can, can three cover? That's like, that's a lot. But those were three really good ones. John, what question did this year leave with you? So I'm assuming we mean this year, 2020, which has just started. Sure. And I think, I mean, the question that I have is, what the hell is next? <laughs> I mean, that's the question that this year is, is I'm like, okay, what, what next? I'm going to put that on your tombstone. Just John Stevens. What the hell is next? No, I'm, <laughs> I'm serious. We're going to talk today about, we're going to have conversations yeah. about worry and anxiety and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and all this sort of stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I got an email yesterday from someone in our church and said, here we go again, you know, stock market fell 2000 points, oil crashed by 25%. You know, we live in an oil town, Houston. So there's the potential if that stays in place, you could have 20,000 people lose their jobs. And they're like, oh no. And I'm going back and I'm thinking since I've been in Houston since 2014, it's just been a litany of of things every year, like really big things. So it's kind of like now I'm, I'm conditioned. Okay, bring it. Yeah, right. Bring it. <laughs> you know, I mean, at this point, there are those times when you go, could it get worse? You go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it could. Yeah. And this is one of those times where I'm like, nah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the next thing's not going to be nearly yeah, as bad. Yeah. Yeah. We were supposed to go to, we were supposed to take a group uh, from church to Israel this week. Right. Uh, that's postponed for good, which, I mean, not for good, but I mean, it's good that it was postponed. Mm. And friends that are, that have flown all the way over there to take people on a, a Holy Land tour and they get over there and they've had to turn around and come, back, come back in a day or two. Yeah. So I'm very grateful. Talk about things I'm grateful for is that I'm not like on a plane yeah. finding out I got to turn around and come back. Yeah. So the, the good thing is, is you can get a cruise right now to Galveston for 155 bucks for like 10 days. I think so. I think so they I would think. actually pay your way and give you shop credit. That's right. <laughs>
And they, <laughs> you shop and they would still have a hard yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. I, do you know people, we have um, people, we have people on our staff at our church that are on a cruise right now. Uh, I know. That's crazy. I've already said what, uh, what I need to say about cruises Yes. on the very first um, time we got together. And I think I need to stop. <laughs> stop there. So I was reading a study. Actually, I had a couple of studies. I thought they were interesting. So the six things that people under 39 bring up the most in therapy. One is I, I can't make a decision because I feel like if I make a decision, it could be the wrong decision. Are you talking about yourself or one of the six? No, this is one of the six okay. things that people under 39 would say okay. <laughs> they bring up. Um, they have a hard time saying no, especially to their parents. Mm-hmm. I'll never make enough money to start my life with my partner and, and mm-hmm. be able to establish myself. I feel helpless about all the things that are going on in the world. I feel like a fraud and my anxiety is actually affecting my life. Yes. Wow. So that's a whole generation of people that would say even before all this stuff that anxiety is affecting their life. I was, so I was telling you, I was reading this thing that I found fascinating from this book called, have you, have you read The Happiness Hypothesis no. by Jonathan Haidt? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have read it? A long ago. A long ago. <clears throat> so he talks about, you, you know a lot about attachment mm-hmm. theory and all this. What I found interesting is that he, he talks about how they studied animals and humans and that when they're born, they attach to the mother. It could be the father too, but typically they studied mother. What, what I found is that they have these, every child as they grow, every human, every animal has this balance, especially mammals, right? They play, right. they learn to play. So there's this balance between safety and exploration. And so a child that stays safe survives, but a child that explores and plays also grows and adapts and becomes proficient and is able to survive and excel in life. So you have to have the balance. And as long as they feel that they're in a safe environment, they can explore and play and grow and develop and become fulfilled. But as soon as they feel threatened, they revert out of that into the place of safety. And he gives the example of, you know, kid, when you go over to a little two-year-old's house, if you go to his house with mom in the room, you can find that that child will start to engage in you right away and play with you. And you won't have any issue. But now if mom brings the two-year-old over to your house, or sometimes I see this when they come to church or other places, and you want to get out and play with them, they're like hiding behind mom, they're holding on, they don't want to separate and all this. Made me think that when you're separated from the things that give you safety and security, that he talks about as attachment figures. Like for example, when they're in hospital stays, Children that are in hospital stays, they studied this. They descend into passivity and despair because they're denied a stable and enduring attachment, a safety relationship. And I thought about this. I think this stuff is fascinating because you have, and I'm not saying church is the only way this happens. And let's just call it a faith community. Okay. All right. When you have a faith community, there was a guy last week that came up to me and his wife is going through cancer. And he said, my Sunday school class, my church, they poured in me, they visited, they've been with us. That brought him such comfort, such connection to face the worry and the anxiety. And I wonder if there now, when we look at these, the sociological data of this generation that is less connected to 
communities of meaning. I say church, that's for us, but communities of meaning, communities of faith. It's no wonder that when you are threatened or you feel anxious, you want to return to that, that attachment that gives you safety and security. Where is that for people under 39 years old, under 40 years old? It's Facebook. It's Instagram. It's right. I think in some of those ways, it's, <clears throat> it's those places that actually don't have flesh connected to them sometimes. Right. And I think that's why people are hungry for, I mean, I think there's going to be a shelf, not a shelf life for those kind of platforms, but we're going to see that the antidote to anxiety, I think like what you're saying is always connection, right? Yeah. Um, where you are, you are loved, that you are known, that you are seen, that you are challenged, right? Those things have to happen within the context of relationship. Mm. And so there's a sense in which we've, we're running to the edges of our technology um, and um, they're no longer able to support our humanity in a sense, right? Um, and I think there's, I think that, that goes back to where I think faith communities are, particularly faith communities. One of the things I love about faith communities is the intergenerationality of them. Oh, yeah. Right? So it's not just a cohort of folks that are all our age. It's, it's being able to walk through stages of people's lives and talk to someone that's older and someone to reflect, oh, this is really normal, you know? Um, and there's a deep sense of you're going to be okay. Just hang in. And this is when this happened to me, you know, so there's some, there's some shared wisdom in those kinds of contexts. Hey, do you think, do you think you're looking at this generation under 39, we call, we, we say millennials, but I think it's broader than that. It's even the younger generation. And we were in the, we were in the transition uh, period, but you've seen this, this really massive drop off in connection with uh, communities of faith and church. It's a significant uh, drop off of that age group that says they're affiliated, either Christian affiliation or Christian worship attendance or any of those things. And I'm just wondering, I know that's not the only thing that provides meaning in life, but that's what the church in our society did for me and for people in my generation. Yes that still had value and a sense for it that was, it was there. And I just wonder when that's gone, you know, what takes the place of that for people in their twenties and their thirties? I wonder if that's where uh, the, those six things that are coming up for millennials in therapy are really uh, endemic of that, you know, right. Mm -hmm. And so you have, you have this sense in which, and it's not just millennials. I think that it's, it's folks that are caught in jobs where they're maybe highly successful, but highly isolated. Mm -hmm. It's the issue. It may not be just developmental and age. It may be the fact that we live in a modern society where we are cogs in the wheel and that we're fighting for all this money and space and time. What, for, for family, for relationships, to be able to do these things, to have these experiences. One of the things I think the millennials really teach us and my generation and the older generation is that work and meaning um, and mission and service don't have to be bifurcated or all in these kind of different discrete categories, right? So uh, most of my friends that are in that age range under 39 are looking for jobs that have meaning, Right. They want to do something that in a sense they're saying, this is good for this is I'm living within my own personal mission, you know. Um, and so there's some things I think also that those folks have a lot to teach us. But 
Well, there, there's a lot of research out there that says that people who are in their 20s, so the Great Recession was in 08, 09, so that's 12, you know, 11, 12 years ago. So you think about people who are in their 20s, maybe early 30s, 20s, and, and upper teens, they, they came of age in a very scary time yeah. for money. And so this increase in student debt became, for a lot of reasons, because parents who had been saving up money lost a lot of that money. Yes. And half of their their portfolio that was invested was gone, or they lost their job, or they had to move out of their house. And so they're coming out of it. This is why you see that this generation behind the millennials that are 22 and under have a different mentality towards money. They're yes. much more, uh, what's the word, thrifty, frugal, yeah. frugal. Yeah you know, um, as a whole, as a whole generation, than our generation was that came up in the eighties when you just dollar dollar <laughs> yeah. bill, yo, just burn it, was, it. It, was, it was everywhere. <laughs> it was like you'd stumbling over right. piles yeah. of money, yeah. you know, and, and now you have all this wealth accumulated. This is why I think, you know, you always, and I don't, I don't do a lot of politics on Sunday morning at church, but you look at the dynamics of what you see going on and someone like Bernie Sanders, who has a lot of support yeah. among young people, yeah. there's a message there that he is speaking that's resonating with an angst and an anxiety and a worry in that younger generation. Absolutely. And, and in a sense, if you, if I pull the camera angle way back out, um, and, and you you see that I think there's people that are wondering, does this system work for everyone? Hmm. Does it it works for some people for sure. But in this new generation where we have much more of an immigrant um, um, population, we have folks that are making less uh, that are saddled, as you said, with with student debt. You know, is this is the kind of economy that we're working with? Is it working for everyone? And I think there's an anxiety about that, that that says um, something's got to change. But but how does that happen? You know, um, how how does that take place? I don't know the answer to that question. I do think it's interesting though that to me this connection is key. Where are we finding authentic connection that that goes beyond? a surface connection, mm -hmm. a superficial connection. When I say authentic connection, I'm thinking about something that really moves deep from the mind to the heart, mm -hmm. where you start drilling into the real needs of life. Have you ever, have you ever heard of these? For our podcast listeners. <laughs> well, oh, I, know. I know. If you're on the, News Channel too, you can I know can what see. those are. So, so for those of you who can't see, these are little tiny, tiny- Tiny dolls. People, tiny people. Tiny people. They are. They're Guatemalan worry dolls. Yes, they are. And so the uh, this is an ancient thing, and and the they're de they're dressed like the what the Aztec Mayan the Mayan people. And you would take these dolls. They give them to their children. They've been doing this for thousands of years. They give them to the children if they're worried about something. And they take them and they speak the worry into the doll, and they put it under their pillow. And so they sleep on the whole idea is you sleep on top of your worry. Mm. And by the next morning, it, well, the, the story is taught that your worry is either gone or because you've slept on the worry, now you have some new capacity, new insight, new, insight, new, new ability to deal with, to cope with the worry that you have in front of you. Can I, can I have that? <laughs> Would you like I one? I take you to bed tonight. Which one do you want? There's one with the orange and blue. Oh, take one. They're great. 
Yeah, put it on your pillow, see if it works. Now, here's the thing that I found fascinating. In, um, in Philippians chapter four, Paul says, don't worry about anything. How easy is that? That's pretty easy for me, John. How, how are you doing all that? <laughs> of all the things. I'm just a spiritual ninja, though. You know? <laughs> of, I mean, <laughs> of all the things in the Bible that people say, you know, you got to do what the Bible says, you know, don't worry about anything. Okay, good. Stop. We don't even need to have this conversation anymore. Yeah. Just stop it. Yeah. Just stop it. Just stop worrying. Stop it. You'd make a great psychologist. That's what I would do. I'm here with a problem. Just quit. Just stop. Just stop. <laughs> All right, that'll be 150 bucks. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> One of the things that's fascinating about Philippians chapter four, though, is he says, don't worry about anything. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Don't worry about anything, but in everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind. Don't worry about anything, but through these things, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. What I always found interesting about that is the word for worry, marimna, in the Greek, means to pull you apart into different pieces. And the word for peace, irene, means rest, but it also means to cobble something back together as, as one. To remember. <laughs> Put it back together. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I, I was taught um, 100 years ago that the word um, for worry also in the Latin means to choke or to strangle. Hmm. You know? And, yeah. And there's that, that part that we're pulled apart and strangled. <laughs> and that's what our anxiety and worry does. Yeah. I wonder if Paul was so... Um, he was so captiva captivated by this alternative reality that Jesus brings that he could show up and not as, a, as, as somebody that's like totally disconnected from reality. He can say, don't worry, because not that there's nothing to worry about, but I know in my own life, if I let worry begin, worry ha always comes with the voice, it comes with the presence, and it, it always ends up feeling like the truth. It's the kind of thing that wakes me up at three in the morning where I think, you know, I've known now, I don't make any decisions at three in the morning when I'm worried about something, right? <laughs> Smart. You know, because I used to think that at three in the morning I'd wake up and that was the true reality, right? That really? was it. That was that was who I was. I'm just was looking for I... the bathroom. <laughs> I'm not worried about you're reality. Much, you're much more spiritual than I am. Yeah, you know? Obviously, I'm, I'm waking up like ready to end it. You know, and and I realize... stubbing my toe, talking to God. <laughs> But in that space, I think that uh, where we're strangled and pulled apart, that um, part of the, what you're saying is that it's community, it's relationships where I can live in that space that put me back together, mm. that remind me of who I am, right? That say, um, they can speak into in, in those metaphors in the New Testament and the, the storms that come where Jesus is speaking into these storms um, that are going to swallow us and annihilate us. And Jesus speaks peace to those storms, right? And so there's that chaos that comes up out of Genesis that is always ever present in our life. Hmm. That Paul's saying, um, you, you don't have to let this have a stranglehold on you. Um, instead, you know, by prayer, and we're seeing now the neurobiology of prayer, Hmm. You know, mm -hmm. uh, the way that, that it really shapes and shifts the way that we think and the way that um, it, can, um, it can really bring amazing things to our life. So he's, he's saying, instead of through prayer and supplication, you got a God that cares about you, dude, yeah. and dudettes.
See, you know, and I think too, the church has not done a good job helping people to learn about prayer because prayer is not about (laughs) answers. Prayer is about access. Prayer is about centering. And so, you know, church in our Western mindset, one of the reasons so many people are turned off the church is because there are still a lot of churches that teach that prayer is only done one way. You got to follow this methodology. You got to follow this formula and you have to petition in this way. You have to be the one doing the talking and say the right words and you can't focus too much on yourself. And instead of this uh, sense of being in in the presence and that's connection. Yes. That's communal connection with one that's created you. Yeah. It's communal connection with something, even people that are not Christian who engage in meditation or engage in quiet rest. There, there's a sense where they're centering on themselves or they're centering on some energy or something. And it's the same thing. This is why so many Christians, I know Christians that'll tell people that like centering prayer or you know, prayer and meditation, like the ancient prayers yes. of, of the, the breathe, the breath prayer. Yes. And people say, oh, that's new age. That's, that's of the <laughs> devil. And I'm thinking, this is why people don't want to come to church yeah. because you've got all, you got all these rules and regulations yeah. on how to be in the presence of God. Yeah, that's right. And it's I, about connection. I think about like the Tizé community in France and that I don't know if there's very many people under the, uh, over the age of 40 that go that thing. And it's packed out yeah. with, with young folks um, from literally all over the world and that they will, they're learning and they're, they're spending time in prayer and meditation. And so I think that saved my life, hmm. um, literally like learning how to meditate. And I, I like, like you uh, had said, w- did not learn how to, I learned how to ask a lot of things where my form of prayer was just a recapitulation of my own anxiety. And so meditation, sitting in the presence of the big love in a sense. I asked somebody, a friend of mine recently, what is, how do you describe meditation? He said, I sit in front of the big love and I am loved. And I'm like, that, that's great. I'm going to start calling God the big love. The big love, right? <laughs> and so, which if God is love, that's the big love, man. You yeah, know, and so we, awesome. we do that. And then all of, I can bring, my anxieties are present, Right. And the big love, the, the love of God can deal, deal with those things. Can See, this, is the, this is the thing. We, churches have taught and we still teach that prayers with these petitions and these words and the certain things all about us. Yeah. What that does is it makes us the center. We are at the center. And if you're at the center, you're then, well, that's what, well, <laughs> yeah. think about all the anxiety and the worry is because it's up to you're you. the center around which everything revolves yeah. and orbits. And so if, if all of these things are going apart, I'm fearing that I might have a fever. I have a little cough. Maybe I have the coronavirus, you know, I'm not going to shake anyone's hand. And so you live in this life of just angst and fear and anxiety torn apart all the time. And these are stories that we tell ourselves that are mental constructs, right? So we, we think, oh, I have a cough and we make up a story and then we live inside that story. And so what Paul is saying is, is in a sense, um, wor- don't worry about anything. Like break the mental constructs that say, this is where your kids are going to end up. This is what's going to happen to your marriage. This is where the economy is going to go. Like you have to, part of the gospel is the, um, is the decree to break those mental constructs up and live differently in the world as if the God of all love is for us no matter what. And so there's a no matter whatness about our faith in love that says, um, 
um, we can hang together in this. And that then when you, when you begin to, to me, for me, prayer moves me out of the center, centering prayer, just be, learning to be in the presence of God, focusing on a word or focusing on, you know, a breath prayer where I just have like a, a short sentence, like Jesus is Lord. And I just wait in that or, or praying a passage of scripture where I focus on a word. It moves me out of the center. It starts pushing me out towards the periphery and it makes space in the middle for something else. And mm. the big love, God is able to move into that space. That's where to me, that's where peace comes from because people think that peace comes when the circumstances are solved, when the situation is relieved. And that's not, that's not at all what peace is. When you just have cessation of conflict, uh, all you're doing is rearranging the outer situation in a pleasing way. That's not peace because as soon as something goes wrong again, guess what? You're, you're you're all messed up again. That's right. You know? And so the peace I believe comes from somewhere else. I believe it comes from God. Mm-hmm. And so, but not until you're able to move yourself out of the center right. and put that, and that takes just being. Yeah. To me, Paul was like 2000 years ahead of his time. He, because he gives you a, like, he gives you a prescription. He gives you an outline, not really a methodology, but he gives you an outline of a way of living. Mm-hmm. And he talks about prayer here again, making space for yourself to be centered around something that's not just yes, you. Yes. Right? That, that's the first part. Then that leads to peace, he says. Then the peace comes. And then no longer it's just once the situation is fixed, but it becomes like in the midst of a situation, mm. I can find myself together at yes. once. And then he says, you know, you need to redirect your thinking. He says, whatever is true, whatever is holy, whatever is just, whatever is right, think on these things. Yeah. And I'm thinking, this guy knew about psychological neural yeah, pathways. This is, this is neurobiology, in, right? In like right. the first century. <laughs> wow, this Bible stuff works. I mean, isn't that amazing though? <laughs> yeah. There's all this study on neural yeah. pathways. I mean, yeah. how many people yeah. do we know? And I'm sure you know, they are literally, everything is negative. Yeah. Negative about everything. Yeah. Well, hey, the sun came up today. Yeah, but it's going to go down this evening. (laughs) Thank you, Eeyore. (laughs) Hey, you won the lottery. $365 million. Yeah, but I got to pay the government a third of it. You know what I'm saying? And what happens is they they live their life. It doesn't matter what happens. They only have one trail cut through their brain, and it's that negative neural pathway. And when Paul says, think about these different things, he's saying, you got to cut a new trail. You have to actually, I think there's intentional, I think the will is important in this. There's one part of it that's the spiritual component, but there's the self-control and self-discipline. Right. That you have to start thinking in different ways. Absolutely. I wonder, in a psychological reading of the New Testament, if that's what the kingdom of God is, this breaking into a new consciousness, the yeah. way that we've been formed um, in these pathways that you're talking about, that Jesus shows up on the scene and talks about a new age, a new consciousness, a new way of being in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, and Paul takes that and has this amazing encounter and experience that knocks him off his horse, gets up a different person. A new consciousness, in fact, in effect, saying, "Oh, in Christ, these categories all go away, and there's a oneness that happens within humanity. You can be so affected by the love of God that you realize that no one stands outside of that. There's not us and them. Yeah. There's not good and bad. There's not coronavirus. And it's like, okay." Let's do all the things we need to do to be healthy people and to reach out to those that are not healthy. But um, God's got us. We're one. We're in this together. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. 
Well, the, the other thing he, he talks about in this that's so, he, you, he gets to contentment. He says, I, mm. I know what it is to be hungry. Yeah. I know what it is to be weak. I know what it yeah. is. To, I've, I've learned to be content in all things, all he things. says. I've learned yeah. to be. And I'm like, that's what you want, yeah. to be content in all things. Yeah. I mean, I would ask anybody to think, are you content in all things? Probably not. Yeah. I don't think I am. But that contentment in all things is really important. And he's, you know, the thing you do, a lot of people don't know is he's writing this letter from prison. <laughs> and he has learned to be content in all things. I mean, his reality is prison and he found contentment there, not desiring to be somewhere else. That's where I want to be. Yeah. That's where I want to get to. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can I say this also that there's there um, there are some folks that are freighted with anxiety that comes through just kind of natural ways of um, uh, of their own kind of biological processes or folks that have gone through deep trauma in their lives where like um, where medication has been really helpful. Oh yeah, uh, for 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 folks, and so I want to make sure that what we're saying in this also is, you know, get off your meds and just pray more. That's not what we're saying. We're no. saying that that um, that for folks that are on meds, and I'm one of those people that has struggled with an anxiety disorder, and I found at times in my life medication be extremely helpful of just kind of calming some of the crazy mm-hmm. and allowing me to develop you know, to get out of myself and develop those kind of relationships or spiritual um, pathways out of those things that are really helpful. That's a really good point. And I wouldn't want anyone to think that I, that I was insinuating anything other. To no. me, well, to me, when I think about how we're talking about prayer and moving ourselves out of the center, prayer, again, is not just me talking to God, yeah. but prayer is a way of being and existing yeah. in yeah. the presence of God. So if you're moving out and you're making space, some of the things that you have to do, there, there are some things that you have to do to allow yourself to be moved. There's some ways that we overly limit ourselves. Right. Sometimes we have to give things up. Like in the season of Lent, you fast right. because that allows you to move out of the space. And like you said, in other ways, there, there are limitations in our biochemistry yes. that keep us from not allowing ourselves to move out of the center right. of this spiral yeah. of depression. And we need assistance. And there, God has created people who are really smart yeah. about this stuff yeah. and have given us the gift of yeah. uh, medicines that are able to help us to, okay, now I can see Yeah, more I got to step on it. Yeah. Right. Now I can see how I'm interfering in, in this process and that assists you. So I think it's just like any other spiritual tool. Mm. I mean, if you're thinking about the whole body, mind, spirit, relationships, everything, you can't take the bio chemistry out of it, which I don't think. No. So if we were going to sum this up for you, I mean, what, what would you say to people, whether they're older, middle-aged, younger, who are just dealing with a deep sense of worry and anxiety right now in the world and the state mm-hmm. of things? Yeah. What would be your word? I don't want to minimize, but my hunch is, is that every generation has stood in front of something like this, you know, a configuration um, um, of things that feel like, could this be the end? You know, this is what, this is what the apocalypse is always about in Mm. New Testament writings, right? We're always standing at the end of something. One of the things I would say that, um, is that the God that we, um, 
that we hope exists in this world in Christ is this God that is for us, that is embedded in relationships that will not leave us or forsake us, and that there's another world possible as we continue to work for that world uh, in this world. And I would say to everyone that this spirituality Mm. uh, that we have to develop to help us to deal with worry and anxiety Mm. to find the peace in us is something we better figure out and learn and struggle to do because as soon as the coronavirus is gone and Wall Street goes back up and the oil booms back up, it will only be a matter of time before it'll be the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. And the question is, you know, is peace really defined for us just when everything gets back to be okay? Because if that's the case, we're not going to be ready for what comes next. That's right. Um, So what are you doing this week? What do you've got planned coming up? So I'm preaching this weekend. You are preaching I this am. weekend. I'm glad that's I'm the first thing you said. <laughs> Wait, I thought you were. Because even though I'm not going to Israel, I'm still. I'm still, am I still preaching? You are still preaching. You? Okay. All right, yeah. Yes. So I. I'm, I've been ordered to like go away. Yeah. And and I'm, I am so, I'm so glad that, um, like, that you, one, you trust me with it and that you, you're going to take care of yourself. You are a, a great model of that, so. So yeah, I'll be doing that. And then um, next week, my uh, 17-year-old son and I and my 16-year-old son are going to go look at colleges. Really? We are. That's and so awesome. I, That's a fun thing. Is this, he's the oldest? He's the oldest, yeah. He's a, a junior, just took the SAT. And I'm hoping that this uh, seals the deal to get him out of my house. He will never listen to this podcast because he hates the sound of his father's voice, I'm sure. <laughs> Um, He'll listen to it someday. <laughs> Maybe. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna find some doing? time just to get away for a couple of days to do a little rest and relaxation. Good. That's it's working out for you, John yeah, Stevens. It's great. great. That's great. Happy birthday! Your fiftieth. That's a big threshold. It is. I yeah. feel the same as I did a week ago. Yeah. I'm John Stevens, <laughs> and I'm Matt Russell, and this is Pod Have Mercy. <laughs>